0: We're starting a new series today in the book of Ruth. And I have to confess to you that Ruth is a unique place to start a sermon series first coming in. You had been in 2 Corinthians. So I realized, hey, we may not want to jump into another Pauline epistle. I think it's healthy for a church to get a diet of different genres of Scripture. All God's Word, us getting to taste different portions of Scripture. So I wanted us to go to the Old Testament. But I want us to go to a book that we could digest and wouldn't take too long. So we're in Ruth. Ruth is four short chapters. And I want to encourage, yea, challenge you to read the book of Ruth on a weekly basis. I, I would encourage you to, to read it in one setting. You see, Scripture's designed to be heard as much as it's designed to be read. So when you sit and read Ruth, you can read it out loud. You can read it to yourself. But as a church, let's marinate in this book. And I want to tell you, in these four short chapters, we get the reality of life on this side of eternity. We get the reality of life in this fallen world. Ruth doesn't hide, and Ruth has so many themes that there's no way any person can read Ruth and not feel God moving and speaking to them. You see, Ruth has themes of hardship and tragedy and difficulty. Ruth is a very painful book at times. It hurts. We're meant to to feel Ruth and go, "Uh, the sting of life on this side of eternity. Ruth also has great hopefulness. We see the faithfulness of God in the book of Ruth. And how is God so often faithful? He's so often faithful through His people. And we're going to get a beautiful picture of that. We're going to see the kindness of God's people displayed in Ruth. That's a beautiful thing to see. God's people, we are called to be kind to one another. We're going to see care for those in need. Brothers and sisters, we're called to care for those in need, especially within the body of Christ. We're going to see care for widows, those who are in desperate situations. We're going to see uh, courtship and God's glorious institution of marriage. We're going to see love for the foreigner, love for people of different ethnicities. We're going to see God's providence. Next week, we're going to get a great picture of understanding the will of God displayed in the book of Ruth, and it's beautiful and it's glorious. We're going to get pictures of discipleship, Old Testament style discipleship here. But ultimately, I want you to know this. Ultimately, the book of Ruth is designed to point us forward to the coming Messiah, to Jesus Christ and our hope in Him. You see, all of Scripture is pointing one direction. All of Scripture points toward Jesus. The Old Testament pointing to His coming and anticipation. Uh, Much of the New Testament pointing back to the revelation. And then the Gospels pointing, He's here. And in Ruth we get some of the clearest shadows and types of what, who the Messiah will be that we see in the Old Testament. We're going to see those, and it is glorious and good. So I'm excited for us to get to spend the next five or six weeks journeying through Ruth. So I'd encourage us as a church, let's read Ruth. Let's marinate on it. Let's spend time in this book. Well, today we're going to cover the first 18 verses. So I'm going to read those, and I'm going to invite you, if you would, to please stand for the reading of God's Word. I'm reading from a translation of Scripture called the English Standard Version, or ESV. If that's not the version you use, that's no problem. The words will be on the screen, and you can follow along. So hear the words of our Lord. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Erephites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughter-in-law to return to Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Then she kissed them, and they lifted their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, And she said, see, your, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her God's returned to your sis- after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more. Also, if anything but death parts me from you. And then Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, and she said no more. This is the word of God for the people of God. And all God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. Lord, your word says that the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever, and this is the word that was preached to you. Lord, if anything of significance will be said today, it must come from your word and from your Holy Spirit. So we pray that you move in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that was a longer portion of Scripture than we'll normally cover. But I always love for us to stand because the Word of God is what we lift up. And we want to hear from God more than we hear from any man. The book of Ruth starts off with five Verses that are cold and hard, and they're meant to be felt, and they're meant to sting us. Right in verse 1, it says, In the days when the judges ruled. Well, if you were a Jewish person reading this, you would go, The days when the judges ruled, those were difficult days. You see, in the Old Testament, you had the uh, Joshua generation in the book of Joshua. They marched into the promised land. They were the greatest generation of the Old Testament. But their children, the judge's generation, now that's a different story. The judge's generation, they ignored God. They only cried out to God when they were in such desperate situation that they had nowhere else to turn. And brother and sister in Christ, that's a terrible way to live. To live the only time we cry out to God. The only time we come to God is when we are in deep desperation. But in the book of Judges, God always came to the rescue. Our God is faithful. Even when we are faithless, He is faithful. And we see that in the book of Judges. But here's a summary of the book of Judges. The very last verse, which is repeated three other times in the book of Judges, Judges 21-25 says this, In those days Israel had no king, and everyone did as he saw fit. You see, the nation had determined this. We don't have a king, and that's our problem. They wanted an earthly king just like every other nation had. When they looked at other nations, the nations would be led into battle by a physical earthly king taking them into battle. But the nation of Israel, they were led by a box. When they went into battle, the nation of Israel would carry a box into battle, a box called the Ark of the Covenant in which God's presence rested in a unique way because all you need for victory is God and one faithful person. God works through his people, and all they had to do was march around the city of Jericho with that box, blow trumpets, follow the worst military strategy in the history of military strategies, and the walls of Jericho fell in. Yet, this nation, who was supposed to have God as their king, rejected God as their king, and they said, we want a king just like everybody else. They don't like being a peculiar nation. Do we ever find ourselves like that? Following Christ at times can cause us and should cause us and will cause us to be out of step with culture, with our world. And sometimes we'll look a little peculiar. And we'll look and we'll say, I I just want to look like everybody else. I, I just want to be like everybody else. And that's what Israel's doing. They want to be and look just like everybody else. They want an earthly, physical king. And God had a plan for giving them an earthly, physical king. That was to be the Messiah. But because of their impatience, God will give them one that will fail over and over again before that. But here we open up Ruth, and it's the days when the judges ruled. When an Israelite read this, they said the days when the judges ruled, those are hard, difficult days. It said there was a famine in the land. Now here I think it's speaking of two types of famine. One very directly, a physical famine, a food famine. Now I can tell you, I, by God's grace, never experienced that. That's not a part of my story. Maybe, maybe some of you know somebody who has, or maybe even you have. But here's what I know about a famine: God has made us dependent. God is the only self-sustaining uh, being in all the universe. He's God. He needs nothing to sustain himself. Yet you and I, we need food. And when we don't get food, we don't do well. You give us two months without food, and we're not going to be alive. So a famine, when you hear there's a famine in the land, this is a desperate time, a desperate situation. But not only is there a physical famine in the land, there is a spiritual famine in the land because the people have rejected God as their king, they're not following God, and there's consequences to that. And I can tell you this. I've been in seasons of spiritual famine I've tasted spiritual famine and it doesn't taste good. And sometimes you forget that you're in it and you look up and you are starving. Your soul needs the Lord and you are dying. You're trying to feed off the junk of this world that will never satisfy. It will always return void, bankrupt, empty. We need Jesus. And I'll tell you, in this room I know there are some... That if you're honest with yourself, and I find being honest with ourselves is sometimes the hardest thing. There's some in here that if you're honest with yourself, you are in the midst of a spiritual famine. And let me tell you, you can always return to the Lord. There's no place else to go. Jesus is better than anything this world has to offer. Some of you have been hurt and you've walked away from the Lord. You've stopped rejoicing in Him. You feel like He's been faithless. No, He's faithful. God doesn't tell us he will remove the difficulties of life. He says, I'll be with you in the difficulties of life. I'll secure your passage home. You're going to make it home. But it doesn't mean life on this side of eternity is always going to be easy. And Ruth shows us that over and over again. It says there was a man, there's a famine in the land, and there's a man in Bethlehem and Judah. Now, when you and I read Bethlehem, we have pleasant thoughts. King David, Jesus was born there. Let me tell you, at this time, Bethlehem, you don't want to go to Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a scary city. Read the last few chapters of Judges. There's three stories in Bethlehem, and they are dark and twisted. Bethlehem was a place you did not want to be. I learned this week that uh, the word bet in Amharic, means house. Assuming that's correct, right? in Hebrew bet means house as well and the word betlehem means house of bread and what we see is that in the house of bread there's no bread it's a play on words they're in a desperate famine and it says they went to sojourn in the country of Moab now to sojourn means you're going for a little while you're not going to stay long you're going to go for a little while and then you're coming back and they went to Moab again, this first verse, a Jewish person reading it is feeling the weight and the heaviness of the situation. You see, the Moabites, they were a nation that originated when Abraham's nephew Lot fled Sodom and Gomorrah. And in his fleeing, his wife died, his daughters thought they were the only people left on earth, and they had an incestuous, twisted relationship with their father, and the child of that was named Moab. The Moabites throughout the book of Numbers played tricks on Israel and deceived them and refused to allow them to pass through. The Moabites were not friends of Israel though they were their cousins. The Moabites worshipped the god Chemosh. Chemosh was this huge bronze statue that held its arms out like this and they would put a pot of burning flames under Chemosh's arms and Chemosh's arms would heat up and Parents were expected to bring their first infant child and offer him to the god of Chemosh. And as the priest banged the drums louder and as the mother screamed and as the baby screamed, they would lay the child on the burning arms of Chemosh. This is the type of people the Moabites were. They worshipped a false god that was demonic. So when you hear that they've left The people of God to go to Moab, you need to go, oh, that doesn't sound like a good plan. It's easy to look at Scripture and say, I wouldn't do that. But here, how often do we run to this world for our answers? Rather than saying, God, help me. I'm in a situation. I need your help. Give me guidance. Give me wisdom. We look and go, oh, I can fix that. I've got a solution. I can go to the world, and that's what happens here. They run to the world. They never consult God. They never pray. In verse 2, we learn the man's name is Elimelech. Again, a play on words. One One of the things I've loved about being in Ethiopia is hearing your names. Now, I have a confession to make. Many of the Ethiopian names, when I hear them, they sort of get stuck between my ear and my mouth. So I'll hear something, and then I'll repeat it, And it doesn't come out quite right. I pray that the Lord will correct me of that. But I was talking to a few people this week, and they'd give me their names, and I would say it back to them, and I didn't say it right. And I would do it again, and I didn't say it right. And finally, they'd go, my name means praise. My name means glory to God. They they would tell me what their name meant, and I thought, that is rich and beautiful. That names have such wonderful meaning. It's very biblical. The the meanings of names are wonderful in Scripture. The name Elimelech means, my God is king. But he lived in the days when Israel had rejected God as king. So here you have Elimelech, this man who's living the polar opposite of his name. He's not living like God is king. He's living like he is king. And he will go to Moab and take his family. His wife was named Naomi. Naomi means pleasant. And we're going to see that she is pleasant, but also Naomi is very direct. She's a truth speaker. She's wise. She's godly. But she also is pleasant. And the two the sons were named Malon and Chilion. Get what their names mean. Puny and Pining. Now, would anybody name their son Puny? These are terrible names for boys that they're given, yet we're going to see that that comes true in their life as well. And at the end of verse 2, it says they remained there. They went to sojourn. We're only going to go in the world for a little bit. But they got comfortable, and they got used to life in this world. How many a brother and sister in Christ look at the world and say, I'm just going to go live by the world's values for just a moment. I'm just going to go try this for just a little bit. But that sojourning becomes remaining. And we get stuck. Living in this world by the world's standards and by the world's values instead of living for the Lord's glory. They remain there. And we're told Elimelech died. That's a tragedy. And then the two boys take Moabite wives. Now hear me. In Scripture, there's never an issue... With a person marrying somebody of a different nation, a different race, a different ethnicity, that's never a problem in Scripture. But here's the issue. If you are a follower of the one true God, you do not marry somebody who does not follow the one true God. So those of you who are single today, here today, we're glad that you're here. Know this. Number one, you marry a follower of Jesus Christ that's, what we have. that's the foundation of our marriage is in Christ. And these boys, they marry Moabite women, and the implication isn't that they're marrying women of different ethnicity. That's not the issue. The issue is that they're marrying women who worship Chemosh, the harsh, cruel God, and that's a problem. And then the two boys die, Malon and Chilion, live up to their names. And at the end of verse 5, It doesn't even say Naomi's name. It just says the woman was left without her husband and two sons. These first five verses, no one speaks. All we get is cold, hard facts that hurt. You're meant to feel this book, and as you feel it, it's meant to hurt right now. A Jewish person reading this would go, This hurts. I feel the pain. This woman's in a desperate situation because in this day and time, over 3,000 years ago, a woman without a husband was in a desperate situation and her oldest son would take care of her, but she doesn't have an oldest son. She doesn't even have a second oldest son. She's got no one. Essentially in this world, Naomi is hopeless. She's in a difficult spot. But praise be to God, God, that he gives us, verse 6. You see, in this world, life's not always going to be easy. It'll often be difficult. But that doesn't mean God's left us. That doesn't mean God's forsaken us. He is with us even in the midst of it. In verse 6, it says, She arose, and she had heard in the fields of Moab that there was food in Bethlehem. And the first time, in verse 6, we hear the name, the Lord. The Lord. The Lord had visited his people. The Lord is faithful. And that is good, glorious news, that he has visited his people in Bethlehem to give them food. So Naomi returns. In this passage, uh, Naomi is a godly woman. Yes, her and her husband sinned when they went to Moab without ever consulting God. God told us, God tells us he will meet our needs. And they didn't consult him. They just went and took care of it themselves. But I believe Naomi had always trusted the Lord. She never left the Lord. If every time we sinned, it was considered leaving the Lord, we would all be in trouble. No, she loves the Lord. She has just been in rebellion. And now she is going to return. And it says she's going to return to her people. God had visited the people. You see, one of the ways and the primary way that God often meets the needs of His people is through His people. We need one another. This idea, and and I've heard it a lot in the country where I come from, the United States, that you can be a Christian and you can be fine without the body of Christ. You can make it without the church. We're individualistic, we can do okay, but that's a lie. That's not biblical. We need one another. You need other people. Other people need you. That's why it's so important, and Scripture talks about not forsaking the assembly of the body. That's why this time during COVID is so difficult because we're struggling with we need one another. We need to assemble. You are needed. Other people need you. You need other people. In church, we know we're not perfect. We know we sin. We know we struggle, and we need to encourage one another. But also during COVID, loving one another looks like social distancing and wearing a mask. That's difficult. We really want to encourage the body together. Please let people know uh, we need them. They need us. We need one another as the church. It's one reason we offered some more seating outdoors to let people know, come back. You need the church. The church needs you. We don't live in isolation. And Naomi goes back to the people of God. And we're going to see God provide for Naomi through his people. God is so faithful. Now, we're going to hear the very first words spoken in the book in verse 8. And Naomi is going to tell these young girls who are following her, Orpah, who uh, Oprah Winfrey was named after, if you know her. They misspelled it. And Ruth, these two girls follow Naomi because there's something about Naomi. But six times, Naomi's going to say, go back. I have nothing to offer you. I have no sons. My life is hard. You would be better off going and living in this world as a Moabite and finding a husband among the Moabites coming with me because you come to Israel, to my people as a Moabite and it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. Naomi's almost like the anti-evangelist. Go back. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. Don't follow me. She says it over and over again. Nearly 20 years ago I met a man named Roy Soup Campbell he's an African-American man and the city I come from is a very racially divided city Uh, one of the things it's known for tragically is where Martin Luther King Jr. was killed and when I heard we call him Soup when I heard Soup teach the Bible my soul enlivened I had never heard anyone take the word of God and teach it the way he did I had been to seminary. Soup had never been to seminary. Yet he had been discipled, and he knew the Word of God, and he challenged me like no man has ever challenged me. He never said following Christ was going to be easy. He just said there's nowhere else to go. There is nowhere else to go. Oftentimes, following God may mean more difficulty, more persecution. The 11 disciples that, that remained, they all died for their faith. So following Christ isn't meant to be easy, but it's glorious. It's good. He's with us in the presence. It, he's In the midst of the difficulty, He is there, and we can trust that. And I remember at times, people would come and meet with soup, and they would often turn and go back because it seemed too hard to follow soup as he followed Jesus. But I thank him so much that he pushed me to memorize Scripture. He pushed me to be in the Word of God. He encouraged me to be with the saints. He encouraged me to live out the gospel. He encouraged me to share my faith. He modeled it. I saw how he lived with his family, and I praise God for that. He never said it was going to be easy. And Ruth does that. She doesn't say it's going to be easy. Now, becoming a Christian, that's easy. We recognize we are sinful and hopeless. Your good works, your intelligence, your prayers, your religious practices will never save you. No, you look and go, I'm hopeless unless someone takes my place and substitutes for me. That can be sinless, and that's Jesus Christ. His blood covers us. He's done all the work. So, brother and sister, if you're a Christian here today, you are forgiven of every sin you've ever committed and ever will commit because you're in Christ. But to follow Jesus, to live out the Christian life, Jesus doesn't sugarcoat it. You're going to be persecuted. It's going to be difficult. And I love that Ruth doesn't tell these girls, sure, come on back. It's going to be easy. No, it's going to be tough. And there's times, brothers and sisters, when we have to look at people and say, following Christ isn't always easy. It's good, it's glorious, but it's not always easy. And she tells him over and over again, go back. If I could have children today, would you wait for them to be grown up? No, go back, go back, go back. And down in verse 13 near the end, listen to what she says in 13. She says, No, my daughters, halfway through the verse, it is exceedingly bitter To me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. It's bitter. Some people look at this verse and think, oh, Ruth's just being jaded. Ruth has rich, deep theology here. Ruth knows what she's saying. The hand of the Lord has gone out against her. That sounds harsh. But when we go into sin, God cannot dwell in sin. And she has sinned against the Lord. And here's where people often get confused. God always forgives our sin, separates it as far as the east is the west from us, but our sin on this side of eternity does have consequence. Scripture doesn 't pretend like it doesn't. Galatians six seven said, "Do not be deceived a man." reaps what he sows. You sow a life full of sin, God will forgive you with that because of Christ, and he'll often restore the years the locust has eaten, but it doesn't mean that your sin will be without consequence on this side of eternity. And Ruth recognizes that. It's bitter. The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Me and my husband Elimelech never consulted God, and we went and lived in this pagan land with these pagan people who worship this pagan cruel God. And she's saying, go back. And in verse 14, they lift their voices and they weep again. It says, Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. Orpah's name means back of the neck. She turns and leaves. But Ruth, it means to cling or friend. And Ruth sticks. One more time, Naomi's going to look and go, okay, Ruth. Have you counted the cost? Have you counted the cost of doing this? She says, see your sister-in-law in in verse 15 has gone back to her people and her gods return after your sister-in-law. And in verse 16, Ruth says these gracious words, these glorious words, these words that if you want to memorize a portion of the book of Ruth, 16 and 17, they are so worthy of having hidden in our heart. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and I will be buried there. May the Lord do so to me and more. Also, if anything but death parts me from you. Ruth. Though she's a Moabite, Ruth becomes an Israelite in the sense that she worships the one true God of Israel. She had seen something in Naomi and said, I want that. I'm going to follow Naomi as she follows God. I think that's one of the greatest testimonies a Christian has. It's for a person to look at their life and say, I want what you got. In the midst of suffering, you have hope. In the midst of pain, oh, you don't deny it hurts, but you have a confidence because you're walking with the Lord. How a Christian walks through pain, difficulty, tragedy, and suffering is very different from the world, and the world doesn't understand it, and the world should look at us and go, something is different. And that's what Ruth has seen. Something is different about Naomi. Whoever your God is, Naomi... It's going to be my God. Whoever your people are, Naomi, they're my people. One of the greatest testimonies the body of Christ has is that as we gather to worship the church, you see, the church is Christians. It's the redeemed. But we always welcome those who don't know the Lord. There are some here today who don't know the Lord, and I want you to know you're welcome here. And I pray that tasting the community of the body of Christ, you would look and go, that's what I want. That God would stir your heart and you would recognize that all this world has to offer you is sin and destruction and brokenness. But Jesus, he gives you hope and he will be with you in the hurt and the pain and the suffering. And in the book of Ruth, we're going to see Over and over again, in the midst of the difficulty, God sends his people to come and meet the needs of his people. Church, I pray that that would be our testimony. And for those here today who you maybe you've never trusted the Lord, Maybe you think being a Christian means you were just born in a Christian household. Or you think it means that you just attend church occasionally. Or that you have friends that are Christian. No, being a Christian means that we have recognized our sin and God has redeemed us. We are born again. We're a new creation. That's what Scripture says. We're not the same. The only thing that's the same about us when we become a Christian is we still drag around this body of death. But we are new. And one day, God's going to give us a new body when he returns. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I would encourage you, consider Jesus. There's no place else to go. We would love to talk to you. And Christian, I'm going to assume that's the majority of us here. It's easy in this life to just get caught and that I'm a Christian and I'm secure and that's enough. God has so much more. I pray that we can say, Your people are my people. Church, do we love one another? Do you love the body? Not, ex- not saying, I love you if you do what I expect. I'll love you if you don't have sins that I don't like. No, do you love one another? Do you care for one another? Do you seek to meet one another's needs, church? You see, I believe the greatest testimony the church has is when the body of Christ, though we are sinful, we confess our sin, love one another, and the world looks and goes, there's something different. So church, I I call you to trust Jesus Every day we wake up and offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. The problem is, a living sacrifice likes to get off the altar. And I pray that like Ruth, we would count the cost of following Jesus. And like Ruth said, she's all in. May we say that as well. Let me pray. God, I thank you for the body here at IEC. Thank you for your word in Ruth. God, if, if, I pray that your Holy Spirit moves and works, and I pray that we would recognize that we have no hope outside of Jesus. There's nowhere else to go. So, Lord, now as we sing, may we know that you are our only hope. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.